0: Welcome back to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Cressy, and this is episode 139. I'm really excited for today's guest because he's actually one of CSP's original pro guys. He trained with us at CSP Massachusetts all the way back as early as I think 2008 um, and really helped to set the stage for the culture that you know we really established. The way we train athletes gave us some really critical feedback at an important time in our business, and was kind of one of our guinea pigs as we worked to build this thing out. So um, a guy I've respected a lot. He finished his playing career in 2014 and went immediately to the coaching ranks, and he's doing some great stuff now. Um, as you'll you'll hear in this interview, just has an awesome perspective on you know how the game has evolved, but also you know what it's becoming, so that he can best help the players with whom he works. So really good. One coming up. This episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens, the most comprehensive NSF certified for sport daily nutritional supplement I've ever tried. With so many stressors in life, it's difficult to maintain effective nutritional habits and give our bodies the nutrients they need to thrive. As a father of three young kids and a co-founder of multiple businesses in multiple states, on top of still being an avid exerciser, I know that busy schedules can really take their toll on us. Whether it's poor sleep, exercise or life stressors, environmental factors, or simply not eating enough of the right foods, we can wind up deficient nutritionally. This is where Athletic Greens can really help. It's a game-changing nutritional insurance policy. They simplify the logistics of getting optimal nutrition on a daily basis by giving you just one thing with all the best things. And that's why I use it daily and recommend it to our athletes. One scoop of Athletic Greens contains 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, including a multivitamin, multimineral, probiotic, green superfood blend, and more. They work together to fill the nutritional gaps in your diet, increase energy and focus, aid in digestion, recovery, and supporting of a healthy immune system. This all can happen without taking multiple products. While most nutritional products come to market and stay stagnant, Athletic Greens continues to obsessively improve this one holistic formula based on the latest research, producing 53 improvements over the last decade. They invest in the most absorbable and natural source of each ingredient and go above and beyond in third-party testing to ensure their customers continue to receive the highest quality and best daily nutritional habit on the planet. It's lifestyle-friendly whether you're keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free and contains less than one gram of sugar without compromising on taste. They put 75 ingredients to the NSF for sport certification to come up with a formula that's trusted by some of the world's best athletes, including our own. Right now, Athletic Greens is giving our listeners 10 free travel packets with their subscription. Simply go to athleticgreens.com backslash Cressy to receive my offer. These travel packs are perfect for supporting your immune system, energy, and gut health when you're traveling for games, training, or simply when you're on the go. They can be a great counterbalance to less than ideal on-the-road food options. So if you want to bridge the gap between deficient and optimal and give yourself the best chance to get nutrient diversity, then head to athleticgreens.com backslash Cressy and get your 10 free travel packets today. Again, that's athleticgreens.com backslash Cressy, C-R-E-S-S-E-Y. Today's guest grew up in Somerset, Massachusetts, and went on to play college baseball as a pitcher and catcher at Eckerd College. He was undrafted out of college and chose to sign with the Tampa Bay Rays as a free agent in 2006. From 2006 through 2013, he was a catcher in the Rays organization through as high as AAA. He spent his final season in 2014 in the Tigers organization before retiring from playing to pursue his coaching career with the Rays. In 2015, he served as a coach for the Princeton Rays in the Appalachian League, and then in 2016, moved to the Hudson Valley Renegades in the New York Penn League. He started the 2017 season as the third base and catching coach of the Durham Bulls in the International League before returning to serve as the manager of Hudson Valley. He served as the Bowling Green's Hot Rods Manager in the Midwest League in 2018 and was named 2018 Midwest League Manager of the Year. He spent the 2019 season as one of the Rays Minor League Field Coordinators. In December of 2019, he was hired by the San Francisco Giants as their bullpen and catching coach. In 2021, his first full year with the organization, the Giants won 107 games to top a franchise record for victories that had stood for 117 years. They also won the National League West regular season title. Please welcome to the show, Craig Alvarez. Craig, my man, this is really long overdue. Uh, thank you for joining the show. Oh, man, I'm
1: pumped, man. It's definitely long overdue. It's just good to see you. Good to chat with you again. You know, it's been a little bit, but it's it's always good to see you and catch up.
0: Yes, and, and people forget, like, you were an OG. You were CSP kind of 2.0. We went from the dungeon with lots of rust to actually looking somewhat professional you know, I had, I, I bet you were probably, you know, our sixth or seventh pro guy back in the day. And what's cool about that crew is there are a lot of those guys that have gone on to like working in pro ball, like Stefan Wilson's like a national cross checker with the angels, yeah. Sean Havlins in the Red Sox front office here with the giants. Um, it's a cool little, little culture that, that emerged.
1: Yeah. I, I, it's just crazy when you look back on it, like even, I mean, Sahil doing what he's doing, yep. you know, it's, it's, it's insane. Um, you know you're just kind of very fortunate to be around great people and that's a credit to you and the environment and the culture that you created and and that little that little uh you know room floor and you know Hudson Hudson, (laughs) Hudson, yeah in Hudson Massachusetts man and I love making that drive up there it was a long drive for me but it was worth every minute of it and you know I'm just forever grateful to be around great people and yourself
0: well it's funny man I'm I'm feeling old though we've we've
1: Oh Go-
0: man! You probably do. <laughs> Gomes and Fold are, are both GMs um, who are who are kind of part of that crew as well. So come along. Yeah, <laughs>
1: it's so true.
0: There, we got kids now. You know, yeah. we've always been bald, so we're we're good yeah. on that front. So I, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw it out there. We'll start as you as a player, and it's gonna morph into you as you know in your transition to coaching, and so we had a lot of guys that we interacted with. I, I distinctly remember a conversation actually with Adam Russell who kind of came up with you through the Rays organization. I know you were kind of part of that team with you know, David Price and Evan Longoria and everybody kind of went level to level. Um, and Gomes was kind of in that conversation as well. And so many of those guys just absolutely raved about you. They loved throwing to you. Obviously the bat was a little bit light, but you, you came up, in an era where, where elite receivers were, were heavily underappreciated, you know, certainly by maybe front offices and scouts and things like that, but they were, they were in very subjective feedback, really heavily appreciated by pitching staffs. Um, You know, guys love throwing you, but it never seemed to show up in the box score or even the analytics available at the time. So I'm, I'm actually genuinely curious, like I watched it, but was this something you were aware of at the time that you were, you were that much of a better receiver than your peers or is it something you only maybe appreciated looking back in hindsight?
1: Yeah, I think it's something where I really took a lot of value in it and I took pride in it as well. I'm, you know, Like you said, that was light. Um, I was undrafted free agent. Um, I knew what my role was. I knew what was going to get me on the field and keep me around, essentially. Um, and I was catching. You know, I had a good arm. Um, I could catch and throw. But at the end of the day, when you're playing sparingly, you want to make sure that that pitcher on the mound um, is ready to go, and you're giving your best effort for him. Um, you know, because like you said, when you're not playing for five days, the next thing you know, you're catching David Price in the start, and you're like, okay, well, <laughs> he's our top prospect. You want to make sure that he's dialed, and and you're and you're putting your best effort to make him look good. So I definitely took pride on every pitch I called, every pitch I caught, just to make him feel comfortable. And you know, at the end of the day, in this game. On the pitching side of things like you want to throw as many strikes as you can. So I knew that as a, as a catcher. So I was just trying to get as many strikes as I can. Um, was it underappreciated then? I don't think so. It was always talked about in the race organizations. Like you said, subjectively um, and like how you just care for the pitchers that took pride in it. But as like where we're at now with the, the modern day catcher and, looking back on it like oh man like I was I, I see myself catch I'm like man I wasn't good as far as <laughs> even wise you know yeah. just like just the way it, this way it's going now um and just the art and the craft like there's so many great catches out there right now so many great catching coaches that can that can really teach the position and dissect it um so where it's morphed to and, and come in like a short amount of time in like six years it's it's been fun to watch um you know, going back, I probably would have done things a lot differently what I know now, yeah. um, you know, just as far as, like, body moves behind the plate, different setups, because it was frowned upon Yeah, I was coming up. You just had to catch that – you had to catch a certain way. But now there's so much freedom to to, to go out there and be you and, and solve whatever problem on the field. Um, but, yeah, like, it, it definitely was – you know, speaking with Russell and, like, catching those guys. It was always cool that, to make them look good and get that feedback from them because – you know, you always want to, you know, be that good leader and also like win games. And essentially, if you're buying into the pitcher and receive
0: the ball well, do the little things behind the play, ultimately that ends up with wins. Absolutely. And, and you know, you even said be you, like it, it, you're five foot eight, like you're not a, you're not a big guy. And that, that was an era where, you know, people fell, fell in love with the, you know, the Sal Perez builds and Chris Ionette as You know, these guys all contributed, don't get me wrong, but like to the you know, exclusion of a lot of guys who were, you know, who were excellent um you know, we just didn't know it at the time so like we're, we're seeing a way more open-minded even scouting community to to smaller players because we know what they can do bottom of the zone and they can impact the game in different ways
1: yeah i mean you got guys like you know like trevino leading away with the yankees i mean it's watching him work you know on tv and you know and and hearing people that have worked with them and players that play with them like it's it's different you know and, there, and there's something to that um you know, you can get on the hitting side with the biomechanical, yeah. and, you, know, by, by, you know, as far as like shorter limbs and all that stuff and how to rotate. And I'm sure that's you know, a whole different topic of conversation. But, you know, I, I, I do feel like baseball is that one sport where you don't have to be a certain size or a certain build or a certain athletic fitness. And it's just great to see the, the diversity in this game, you know, uh, definitely from the body type and also just, you know, at the end of the day, if you can perform and you
0: know impact the team and impact your organization you're going to get a chance i love it um and we recently had jerry weinstein on this podcast i know you and jerry are tight and um you listen to it and and commented on it you know he spoke about key competencies for catchers um you know particularly you know i think he delved in really heavily on this this underlying mentality of you know being a servant leader um you obviously did that as a player as you worked your way up through minor leagues you know alongside some of the superstars and we mentioned you know david price you know being the top prospect as you guys came up together and and certainly now you're in a coaching role with the giants where you're you're you know effectively uh you know growing the next generation of catchers for that organization you know you want to nurture that servant leadership and, you know, mindset, what are for, you know, the important points for you to drill home? Like what are the non-negotiables of developing a, you know, an elite major league catcher?
1: Yeah. The, the sort of leadership component is, is huge. And, you know, Jerry is, you know, one of the, you know, the forward thinkers in this sport and definitely catching. So, you know, picking his brain above all certain topics and and other coaches as well. But I mean at the end of the day as a catcher, you're you're not the main character in everyone's in everyone's life, everyone's film, right? You're you're there to support that pitcher. And when the starter pitcher is pitching once every five days, you know, it's essentially like quote unquote his day. And you still have to do your thing, but also you want to make sure that that one starting pitcher has all your attention that day. Everything you need to do, even if you're you're feeling tired, gassed, whatever the case may be, like you have to bring your A game for him. Um, you know, at, and then if especially if you're an everyday guy, you, know, you have to lock it in for that person. What what can you do to get get the most out of that guy on the mound? What can you do to have him succeed, take down innings, get outs, even if he doesn't have his best stuff? Then if you're the backup guy, like I spoke about myself, like if you're getting in there once, twice a week, like, yeah, you are you want to perform and do your thing, but also you want to make sure that starting pitcher is comfortable throwing to you because you know that he's probably used to catching throwing to the starter and you want to make sure you're overly prepared and you're ready to to guide him through the game. You know, and there's a lot of, you, like the, the communication piece is huge. Like I think the, the communication has to be, you know, continuous and ongoing, and it it and it just needs to be clear, open, and honest. So he knows where you're coming from as far as your prep work, and essentially that just builds trust with with him. If he just sees you all about yourself, um, how you act in the clubhouse, like everything you do matters, and if he feels like you're invested in his success then you're going to have a good marriage on the mound, um, you know. And then there's, there's always the selfless acts that you have to do. You know, there's sometimes you have to, like, I wouldn't say throw our bats away, but the catching position stuff, you come in and you're leading off the inning, but there's something you really want to hit on with that pitcher. You might be a little late getting out there, you know, to, to, to kind of get ready. And sometimes you just have to do it, for, you know, to sacrifice for him and the team um, and then just go out there and compete. You know, and there's always the accountability piece you know you want to make sure that you're accountable for everything that you do behind the play and for him you know, and own up to uh yeah you know, hey man like i I messed up that that call for you, but thank you for trusting me, but I'll be better for you like those little conversations that always happen um is huge, and I think the the main thing that kind of gets lost is is the the component of being coachable like if the if you're a catcher and you know you're everyone's looking at you in practice or whatever it is um and other players and pitchers see how how coachable you are how well you can you know you can you can be fluid in in jumping from task to task and and making adjustments for that pitcher and yourself to get the most out of your team that goes a long way um because essentially, you are the leader on that field. Everyone's looking at you. It doesn't matter how young you are or how your veteran status. Once you're on the field, you have to command that and and those selfless acts and you know and having
0: the trust in the, the pitching staff and guiding it is huge. You know, the, I've I've thought a lot about the concept of just bandwidth over the last couple of years. Is like, you know, you know, certain times there there are pitchers that don't have a great bandwidth. Like some guys don't like to look at analytics. They like to have everything dumbed down like hey this guy can't hit sliders just throw sliders you know something that simple i mean and i've heard that from from really accomplished big leaguers who have had great careers um you really have the option of having a small bandwidth as a catcher right because it's not just having to you know focus on your hitting your defensive work your pregame prep your relationship with pitcher your relationship with an umpire all those different things but i think one of the most critical roles that people don't realize is you're actually distilling a lot of information you're you're the funnel on figuring out what actually gets to that pitcher. And, and I've heard stories about big leaguers, you know, who are frustrated because they're, you know, their pregame hitters meetings is like two hours long and there's PowerPoints and they're just completely overwhelmed. And, and that can quickly happen as we have, you know, more contributions from front office analytics departments, certainly, you know, more people in the pregame meetings as coaching staffs have grown and grown. I, I have to assume we've seen a generation of pitchers who at times have gotten overwhelmed, especially if you have a catcher who doesn't know how to like, kind of thin the herd of information so to speak
1: yeah man that's that's just a great question comment like that's just there's a lot to unpack there like that's it's just so true right now in this game especially from the catching position like for me like catching right now modern day is probably the hottest it's ever been there's so much you have to deal with like you said with the analytics the data doing your game prep um you know making sure like what that pitcher is feeling his strengths you know layering that in and then you know you have to do like, your hitting part like yeah you're, you're scouting work on on that starting pitcher like you said and then and then also the receiving component man like you just have to be dialed in on every pitch and that takes so much bandwidth like you can't take any pitch off because you don't know like what pitch is going to sway the count and is going to sway the game like you really just can't there's no downtime. And even when you come in the dugout, like the conversation with the pitching coach, you know, and you know, myself now I, I got moved to the dugout, um, you know, the third series after the all-star break to be closely with the catchers. And, you know, we have Joey Barr, our rookie catcher, and, you know, he's feeling that right now as far as just like being dialed in. He's doing a great job, but it was like a, a slow learning process. Um, and that's something us as a staff, we always challenge ourselves because to your point, like these meetings can go on for two hours yeah. with all the information you have. And it's great information. Like it's, you know, it's us job as coaches to – to decipher that information, you know, what's noise, what's actually actionable uh, and how can we implement it in game? Um, You know, we always challenge ourselves with that. And like you said, some pitches just like it extremely simple. Um, And that's great. You know, when you, when you have that simple attack plan, cool, great. And there's other guys that want to get really granular and, and sometimes it gets a little bit much, but as long as you give them some guardrails of what we're trying to do in, You know, going into that game, that plan, it just makes everything a little easier. But like, man, like the like that communication piece with our analysts and our front office is like it has to be just constant and what we're trying to do. And, you know, and also us having an understanding that some of the stuff that we might do on the on the on the coaching side of things. Might, might be wrong um and then it's the same thing as you know some information that comes in and i think as long as we know that as coaches we're going to try some things or you know you know hear some things as far as the analytical wise and, and, and data like sometimes it might be wrong that's cool you just have that conversation to learn from it um, and i think that's where any great culture that you're trying to establish um you know that's what the goal is and that's something that we're trying to do here
0: and I, you know, I actually worry and Jerry, you know, hinted at in his, his kind of responses. I, I worry that if we go to the automated strike zone, that it it takes a little bit of that competitive advantage away. You know, the guys that do want to prepare that do want to nurture relationships and learn about umpire tendencies and um, you know, and all that stuff, it just kind of goes away. Um, I, I like the game requiring bandwidth for, so it shows us who the really elite guys that can differentiate themselves are. Yeah, I agree. Like it's, there's
1: so much game within the game right now. And it's awesome, man. And, and I love every second of it. I know the, like the fans, that really dig in on it. They love it too. Um, you know, and the human element, the umpire piece of uh, yeah. calling balls and strikes, that's all part of it. And, and hopefully it stays part of it. Um, you know, the umpires do a great job. <laughs> I think the box on TV needs to just needs to go. Yeah. Um, it's not even the right box. We can get into that, but it just makes you question everything. But if the box is not on on TV, you're just watching a game, and then you know it, it is what it is. But the art of catching and receiving, keeping strike strikes, like trying to to gain any any advantage for your guy is is what it's all about. And you know, I feel like where we're at right now, and just watching the game on TV and how how elite these catches
0: are, it yeah. a shame if it goes away. No, I, I agree with you 100. I mean, worst case scenario, you know, great umpires, something like that. There's there's ways to provide objective feedback without just like taking away what makes baseball beautiful. Um, yeah, absolutely. Maybe, maybe like an interesting transition. So like towards the end of your playing career, um, you know, a lot of people actually told me that you were going to make a phenomenal manager when you retired. I, I want to say that you know I heard this directly from Joe Madden one day. Um, you know, just in a, in a passing <laughs> interaction with him at, at the Trop, like way back in like 2014. Um, but taking a step back, you know, what were the traits? that made them think that about you, you know, as you look back on yourself, like what differentiated you, you know, beyond just the fact that you were a, you know, a catcher, which, you know, kind of naturally like <laughs> ascension to the coaching ranks.
1: Yeah. That's such a, that's a tough question. Um, yeah, I think it has to be the catching piece is, is a, I think a big part of that. Um, probably because i wasn't an everyday guy and i was just sitting on the bench a lot watching the game and having those conversations you know i say that jokingly but you know a lot of it is true you know you get kind of get to see the game you get to have get to ask really good questions i wasn't i wasn't afraid to to go up to our coaches and our managers and ask why we're doing certain things position wise um you know, game in-game strategy. I was just very curious. I just love the game. It was always curious about it. Uh, being around Joe in those big league camps, like I, I asked him a ton of questions um, mm-hmm. about why we're doing things, especially at that time. You know, the Rays were very, you know, at, at the forefront of shifting and you know a bunch of other stuff as and training practices. You know, and just asking why. Um, but I, it just, I think it's, I honestly don't know why people think that, but. I, I honest, I always go back to just the people I've been around and the people I've learned from. And I just take so much from whoever I come in contact with, whether it be yourself and every, like, like we mentioned before of all the, the, you know, the awesome people that are training at Cressy's, and where they're at now, like having those conversations, coming up with the raise and, you know, having, you know, like Mitch Lukovic and, and Bill Evers and Jimmy Hoff, the more quote unquote old school thinking baseball guys, but there's something to that with the chain in command and, you know, how you go about your business, how you prepare. Like there's something that you take a lot of value from that. And then also being, you know, kind of where the game is going and progressing and, you know, being a part of those conversations with the Rays was, was awesome. And then now here with, you know, with cap and our staff, like you just constantly learning every day. And I think it's, I've never was a person that, definitely didn't have it figured out as a, as a player. I think as a younger player in college, I thought I did, <laughs> you know, and you're kind of a little bit, a little bit on the cocky side, but you know, once you, once you actually start to dig in and learn, you finally kind of figure out, man, I really don't know that much about, about anything. And you want to keep on learning and growing. And I just feel like I'm just been been very fortunate of, you know, being who I've been around and, you know, it's the byproduct of how I've been one raised, by my, my parents, but also raising this game and being around
0: great people. I think you uh, you nailed two big ones. Like the the curious thing was something that, that Sam fold, you know, he used that exact same word. You know, we kind of talked about some of the same thing, is it, it lent itself to a great career in professional baseball where everybody always talked about Sam being a GM when he retired. Um, yeah. And then Ryan Flaherty, same idea, like super utility guy, not playing every day, hanging out next to Buck Showalter. You know son of a, a college coach had just always been around it. it it always seems to just kind of create this dynamic where you know if you're curious good things seem to happen but you even touched on humility i think that's something that we overlook is like no no one wants that coach that thinks they know everything they, they want the people that are you know are asking the right questions and trying to figure it out and um, you know, i think that's always the the best way to show an athlete that you really care is that you are you know showing that you're trying to get better on a regular basis
1: Yeah, that vulnerability piece is you know is big time, and it lands with those guys because this game is so tough. It's so tough, and you know you're trying to get better. They're trying to get better, and you just have that marriage with them. And you know you're just trying to ascend to the top. But but also like the 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 point you made about you know not having some coaches not having humility or even people, but you can learn from them as well. You can learn of, you know, if they do things well, if they, that's something like, you know what, like I didn't like the way he did that. I think there might be a better way or, you know, it's because you just have a different vantage point from that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you, you know, you talked about how tough this game is. I don't think people maybe who are casual observers to professional baseball realize how tough the bullpen coach job is, which, which you carry, <laughs> um, you know, for, for those who haven't experienced it in person, talk to me about like what, Pre-game and in game entails as, as a bullpen coach at the major league level.
1: Yeah, I think the, um, the bullpen coach is definitely interesting just because you're just out on an Island, you know, you're on an Island by yourself with, with the guys that are going to impact the game the most at a certain point, right? Because you're, these guys go from just sitting and hanging out for five, six innings to literally the phone rings and, and, one hitter, you're in the highest leverage moment of the game. Like, it's it, it's crazy to think about, and we talk about it all the time. So, as a bullpen coach, you know, the the prep work going in, this is a lot of conversations as far as, you know, with your manager, with the pitching coach, bench coach, whoever it may be, you know, whoever has a, 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 a pulse on the pitching moves and in-game strategy, you want to make sure that you want to know what they're thinking that day. Um, you know, who's up, who's down, who's available. You see the lineup, okay, there is – there's a left-handed pocket okay who's who what lefties up you want to make sure he's ready for that pocket um you know it's you know who's the long guy who's going to eat up innings like all those questions i try to get answered and ask and i ask them just so when i go into the pen and, and talk to each guy they're prepared to go for that situation it might not happen it might you know occasionally um you know the our manager, Cap, or Bales might, might change your mind and go to a different view, but at the end of the day, as long as you're actively trying to get them prepared to go in and and compete, um, I think that's the first and foremost thing. Um, you know, Then a lot of guys, it goes back to the information piece. A lot of guys want a lot of information before they go into the game, so you want to make sure you're really prepared for them, so you have to do due diligence, your work, and then there's other guys that want nothing. They just want to go out there. They know what their, their plan is. They want to execute their strengths and it is role. And so you support them the best you can. Um, you know, those guys have, you know, a, you know, a pre warm up routine, like, um, you know, they have a potentiation process. They, they throw plyo balls, like whatever, whatever it is, you want to make sure everything is dialed for them and and you want to give them some runway and leeway to, to you know, to get ready. Um, and then it's, then the, for me, the challenging thing for me was also being the catching coach and being in the bullpen. Um, you know, in game, you don't have those those conversations with the catches and whether it be receiving, game call, and stance setup, whatever it is, you're just out there on an island. So there's a lot of you know, for me, reviewing with the iPad, and I would, you know, have to call down to the dugout, um, you know, and either like reinforce like really good things, like hey. Joey, Buster, Kurt, you know Austin. Hey, you're doing a really great job of this, man. That's awesome. Keep it up. Or give him some feedback as well. Um, so, like, yeah, the, the, the challenges of you know being on an island, you know, yeah. you really you really have to over prepare. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of it sometimes doesn't come to fruition. But at the end of the day, you always want to make sure those guys are prepared to go in and go in to compete. Because, like I said, man, like next thing you know, it's the highest leverage spot of the game. Yeah. You want to make sure they're dialed to going in. But it is also a piece of you want to make sure they're comfortable and relaxed, and they're watching the game. And you know, it's like you're you're teetering that that line of you know making sure that they're extremely relaxed, but then also at a moment's notice they're ready to go in and compete.
0: And not that I think the the one we forget about is like young guys coming up to the big leagues. Like they really don't have a appreciation for you know. How, how fast the game moves, and guys can get surprised and not be ready in time. You know, some guys, you know, have this this situation where they, you know, have this you know really elaborate long warm up that, that ain't going to play when the phone rings. And you got to be you got to be ready in five minutes.
1: Yeah, it's so true, and I think that's a great point that I missed to bring up that you just brought up is like those young guys, especially like the prospect guys in the minor leagues, because they're not used to. They usually give them a runway to get ready. Like, hey, you got the ninth, boom, you know, and you have the whole time to get ready. You know, the back-to-backs, you know, the the dry humps, you know, getting hot, you know, the extended the extended innings. You like a lot of them. It's the first time they're doing it, so you really have to monitor what they're trying to do, but also realize that okay, they've had some success. Mm-hmm. This might be part of their warm up, so it's just like that communication of with those guys, like what works, what we're trying to do. Can we shorten up your program? Are you are you ten pitches away? Are you five pitches away? When are you hot to ready to go in? Because you know a lot of the times guys want to dial in their shapes. Um, to make sure they go out and compete, but sometimes, like, dude, you just have to be ready and sweat going, and you just trust that your stuff is going to be there and go out there and compete, and I think for a lot of young pitches, it's tough to kind of get over that hump mm-hmm. when they go into a game, um, and I think that's where, as, us, as a as a coaching group, you know, depending on your pitching um, environment and, and culture and setup, like, those things have to be addressed and keep on talking about and knowing, like, it goes back to knowing that sometimes you're going to have to fail a little bit to, to figure out your routine.
0: Yeah. You know, as I look at it from afar, it's almost like a lot of calculations and refereeing and <laughs> yeah. the, the calculation side of things like it's hard because, you know, manager calls down to the bullpen and asks for a relief pitcher, right? That guy may have been in pregame trying to, you know, figure out a slider or something like that and thrown a little extra that day. You know, he may have gotten hot twice the day before without going into game. So what you see in these, you know, these major league box stars, it, it literally may be twenty percent of a pitcher's total volume off the mound. And it's a it's a really overlooked thing. Bullpen management is 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 kind of an underappreciated aspect of the really effective managers in the game. And a lot of that is completely, you know, run through an effective bullpen coach. So it's a super important role that people that a lot of people don't even know it exists, you know, for better or for worse. <laughs> I
1: know. It's I I know and I realize how with your point, how important it is when you're out there and how much excuse me how much trust that the you know like cap or your manager has in you to get those guys ready it's like if you sit back and think about it, like oh man like this is it's a lot
0: so you want to make sure that that they trust you and you know like those boys are ready to go in absolutely um so kind of on a similar vein uh San Francisco made uh, headlines in recent years. They have one of the largest coaches' staffs of all time. Um, you know, Gabe Kapler assembled a, a very diverse group with a wide variety of skill sets. Actually, Antoine Richardson's been on the podcast before; he's an old friend as well. They're a CSP guy. Um, mm-hmm. they got a wide variety of skill sets, and they came together. You guys won 107 games. I think that was like the, the most they've ever broke a 117 year old record um, from the New York Giants. I- I'm curious, what were some of the the challenges and benefits of working as part of a larger staff? you know were there growing pains of you know feeling out like there were so many voices in the room or was it a smooth you know process you know, Like were there particular lessons that you learned that you think would be really helpful to you know any coach that listens to this podcast yeah um i asked like nine questions there so i apologize no, no,
1: it's it's i man like it's it's definitely tough um at times especially early mm-hmm. you know because it's a lot of feeling out process a, we pretty much didn't really know each other either. Um, like me and Ants, I played against each other and obviously the you know, the Joe Rosen and, you know, in your connection as well. But, you know, other guys we kind of knew of each other. So us kind of coming together was um definitely a lot of feeling out, getting to know each other. Cap did a great job. Like he is an elite communicator. Like it's very fortunate to to have him kind of spearhead this and be the manager because he and it right away brought us all in to, to Oracle, you know, had like a mini retreat type deal and, you know, had some fun activities, get to know each other. But also like the, the 2020 shutdown, like kind of helped us as a staff because we, you know, we had an opportunity to kind of get thrown into spring training. Everyone got to see how we work. Spring training gets shut down. And then, like I said, CAP did a great job of keeping us all engaged during that shutdown. And so we had an opportunity to kind of learn, from that from that perspective learn about each other as far as whether that be in a quote him, we did like a little book club and we all read culture code we got we got yeah. together we read range um you know we did some other activities on zoom and you just kind of just got to know how we you know how we all think and how we work and so we got into that once we got into the when the season started back up it was a little easier and then we had the off season together and and everything kind of just just you know just kind of uh, flowed together and the communication piece is the biggest thing, you know, because at the end of the day where, where the communication lacks, negativity fills the void. So, you know, for us, it's always, we always want to over communicate, you know, like there's so many people uh, across the land, like across our areas that, you know, have a a little fingerprint on each area. Some, some of our coaches and you want to make sure that they know what's going on in your area because there's so many conversations that you have with players and other coaches. So you want to keep them up to speed with what you're doing. And that's just, you know, that's something like a little conversation in the locker room, like, Hey, with Joey, we're, you know, we've been attacking this. So if you see him, you know, Hey, like just give him some, you know, give him some love on that. Or, you know, if you see him doing this, like, please like let him know, like I'll correct him. Like you f- have free reign to say something, yeah. you know, we want to make sure that we all have a, have our backs and, you know, cap likes to, use a neighborhood method, you know, as like, you're trying to raise a child where everyone like back in the day and, you know, people across the street, everyone's helping, you know, each yeah. one, each one. So, you know, we really, really try to, you know, emphasize that with us. Yeah. Um, and it, it's, it's a lot of work, man. It, it really is. And, you know, especially with, we all want to do great work. We all want to, you know, win games and, and, and compete at the highest level and get these players better. And sometimes, Whatever area you're in, it's not the most important thing to us, it is us as coaches, like that area is. But yeah. in the holistic view of the player, it's just a little microcosm of what they're trying to yeah. do that day. So, you know, whether in, in sometimes it's you have to let, let off the reins a little bit so in another area can kind of take, you know, take the full focus and have the full focus of that player to get better. And, you know, it takes it, for us, it was. It definitely wasn't easy um so you have to build that trust with that staff that that hey like this is going to be you know good for him and then once once we kind of handle that now we can circle back and, and start checking the the other boxes to kind of you know push his, his development and his growth
0: yeah I, you know i love that quote you know where uh where communication lacks negativity fills the void i think it's what you said when you think about it everyone likes to complain right And that's where the negativity is. But what happens if you proactively say, hey, here's what I'm working on with player X. Here's what I'm struggling with. And here's how you can help me. And someone has the right to respond to that. I'd love to help you. Here's what I would contribute. Or, hey, you know, we're working on a ton of stuff. Maybe these are competing demands and we need to collectively decide what the higher priority for that athlete is. It's a really good point.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, and like in, in our staff, like there's, like I said, there's so many great coaches out there and. You know, just because I'm in the catching area, like I've asked our hitting coaches, our infield. I asked Donnie, Donnie Ecker, who was with us, and now it's Petey and JV. And you know, hey, h- how they move in the box? Like, what's like, what do you see? What's the back foot looking like? You know, and they would ask me the same thing. How's he throwing? And I'll ask Kai, Kai Career, our, our infield, um, you know, coach. Like, hey, like, would it be transfer? Like, hey, can you look at? Can you look at Joey's transfer? Like, you know, is there a drill? Like, is there something that I can, I'm missing here? Like, can you relate it to double plays? You know, you know, and it's you know, or if uh, uh, an issue throw in is like an arm pad thing, I'll ask Brian Bannister or Andrew Bailey, like the JP, like like it's Just we, we have so much resources with just in our coaching staff. You'd be you'd be a fool not to ask for other like a different vantage point or advice from guys. And I think that's that's a, an aspect that we we try to leverage um, for us to use our advantage.
0: I love that. Um, Last year, you know, it was an article. I'm not sure you even used the line in-house, but you guys popularized the term uh, practice, dirty, uh, play clean. And, you know, a lot of it was focused on the idea of random practice, which is certainly caught on more in the game today, Um, you know, challenging guys during pregame BP instead of just grooving grooving them 70 mile an hour heaters, like having guys see and breaking stuff and actually swinging and missing at times. It's it's something we use a ton with, with great success in the off season, you know, and, Guys have, have shown up feeling a lot better, um, you know, to spring training over the last couple of years. But I, I think you know, when I look at your situation is it, you, you guys weren't a you know average age twenty six years old. Like you weren't the youngest team in baseball. You actually had a lot of veterans um, that you got to bought, buy into a new way of doing things. And to me, that's super impressive because we we know change is hard, and some players are are really setting their ways. On top of that, um, you know, I'm curious as you got more and more of those veteran players, you know, involved in those processes. Were there lessons you learned? that you'll carry forward as you try to roll out new initiatives um, you know, to, to make basically being a progressive coach more, more uh, user-friendly. Yeah. Um, I think first and foremost, it just,
1: it just that like, the credit goes to the veteran players and the players themselves. Yeah. Like they have to, they have to really, you know, like you said, buy in to what we're trying to do and for them just being open-minded and curious, like they've had, especially the veterans we've had, that we have here a ton of sp- one, individual success, but then also team success. Like, they run three rings. Like, they're, you know, a perennial contender. Um, so it's tough to come in, us as new coaches and, and young coaches, and, like, think we have these great ideas to, to get them better. But I think the, the one thing that that we try to do here, you know, especially with our hitting guys, what we alluded to, because that's where, like, this is really coming to how they got the notoriety with that with that quote, that tagline, is – you know, they really wanted like ownership, of the, shared ownership with their players. Like they wanted the players to drive this. So, and, th- and I think we all want that. And that's something that we've definitely learned. All I learned here is the value of, you know, of that player like ownership and marriage when you're trying to do things. Um, it's very easy to to come in and dictate and you have all these ideas and like, this, is, this has worked in the past, but this is definitely going to work here and let's try this. And, you know, each player is different. Um, you know, so you want to make sure when you when you loop in the player, mm-hmm. you want to peel back the curtain for them. Like this is the reason why. This is the reason why we we want to try this and, and do this. We're not just like just randomly throwing crap at the wall and figuring stuff out. Like here's the reason why behind it. Here's some numbers behind it as well to to justify it. Um, this is what you've done in the past, and this is how you're moving. And this is you know an area where we think we can win at the margins. Um, you know, and see what their thought is. And, and you, and you keep on having those conversations go back and forth. Cause at the end, like the, your, your training, your practice, your setting up is might work that time and yeah. it's not going to be perfect. And you just have to keep on evolving. Um, and the players will give you that feedback, you know, cause that, you know, the game, the game is chaotic and chaos. And when you're, when your training is very like scripted and, you know, you know, the, Know, blocked as they, you know, as you know, what everyone says, and it, that's not what the game is. um yeah. So you want to make sure. Don't get me wrong. There is a time for a very, you know, specific training where you need to really hold on to a certain skill before you challenge a player. But once once it's ready to go, and you know, you want to make sure that player is challenged and prepared to yeah. go into a game. And that's something where when I started off coaching, um you know, I really me I was a hitting coach for two years and hitting was really tough for me. So I want to make sure when I coach the guys, like how can I make it easier for them in game? And, you know, and I feel like our staff and you look across the game, like the, the really, you know, the coaches now, like that's what they're trying to do um, is to try to solve that problem in game and be most prepared to what they're trying to do. And, you know, we always talk about like the football side of things and, it's almost like being an NFL quarterback and, you know, you're getting ready for, you know, a training camp or that week going to a game. And you're just doing walkthroughs the whole time. Yeah. And the next thing you know, the game happens and everything is so much faster The defense. Like it just if you don't train and you don't have you know to train for chaos and that speed of the game and how you can have to adjust your, your decisions and make adjustments on the fly. It's, you're just doing it for the game and then you have to learn from it. But if you could put a player in that practice environment and fail and have that conversation, make adjustments before they go into the game, I think it only helps.
0: Yeah. We've, we've hit on in the past, like the, the goal of coaching is to fail without consequences. That's how you learn. guys um, are in the big leagues and they aren't okay with failure. They're in the, the minority because it usually takes a lot of it to get there in the first place.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it goes back to like with, uh, with our staff too, like I kind of alluded to earlier with, you know, us having communication of like, you know, us, like our area not being the most important. And sometimes where like, you're, you're getting really challenged on the hitting side of things. And, you know, the hitting coach, Donnie, JV or, or Dustin would give me heads up like, Hey, I we really, really kick, kick, uh, you know, Joey's butt this this day training wise. So on the catching side of things, like I would okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna back off a little bit. I'm gonna make it a little easier for him. He just got one area, he just got blown up, you know, really struggling, you know, as far as like the training environment. So now let's give him, you know, a little mental break and a small victory on my side of things. And that's where like the communication from the staff and that marriage comes in um, for us. And, you know, hopefully, you know, we can keep that moving forward. I love
0: it. Um, all right, lightning round. I know you've listened to these, so you know the rules. Oh yeah, bring it. Yep. You're probably prepped. What catchers do you like to watch in today's game, and why?
1: Ooh, yeah, that's that's a great question. Um, honestly, bef- before I really give an answer, like I f- I watch every catcher. Mm-hmm. Like now I'm in the dugout, I am like hone in on every little detail they do because good, bad, and different. You're always trying to learn. Like there might be something you see. That yeah, you can use like all right. Why like why is why is there glove flap doing it this? Why are they deploying that stance and try to decipher the reason why? Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I think that's a very generic answer, but it's true. Um, I really do try to watch every catcher, yeah. um, you know. And then I I just love uh, I'm partial to my guys that I work with yeah. just because of the effort and the time and the sweat equity and all the things they yeah. put in to getting ready to go into a game. I just know how hard they work. Mm-hmm. So just being around them, I just love watching them play um, and go out and compete. And I think outside of our guys, mm-hmm. like I said, the game is just filled with so many catches. Like I love watching Jose Trufino do his thing, um, you know, even from the Texas days and now watching him on stage with what he's doing with New York and really taking the reins there with, well, wow. you know with with higgy it's it's awesome um you know jt riomuto what he's been doing he's a freak man like a, he's a freak athlete like the way he throws stealing 20 bags you know yeah. being a workhorse behind the plate you know especially in the right now and the in this era where it's like platooning players is is big and workload management is huge like we all we all buy into that then you get guys like you know like jt who just like nope i'm going to catch every game you know, I just roll me out every time, and you know, I there's a lot of respect there for that.
0: No doubt about it. Um, I know, and uh, you implied it earlier, but you're a, you're a voracious reader. Um, what, I don't, I'm not sure you can be on Gabe Kapler's staff without being a voracious reader. I, I love <laughs> to go into territory. But what's something every young baseball player uh, should read or watch?
1: Um, I think the first thing every young baseball player should watch is baseball. I yeah, think that's that, that's, that. that's the. Um, I think that a lot of young players just don't watch the game. Um, yeah. You know, and there's so many, like, little, the in game, it, it's, oh man, like, there's so many little nuanced things that you yeah. can see. Like, for me, as, you know, I really relish and like watch the game, um, like, the dead time. Like, everyone hates the dead time, but like, that's where the real baseball happens. Like, the action, like, when the pitch is thrown, the ball hits, like, all that's done before. Yeah. and the fans love that, but I think like the the real fans that love baseball, and you know, and the players, like even like the the older guy, like the more veteran players, like they thrive in that dead time. Like oh, yeah. like every little like what's what's the hitter trying to do? What the you know, the, the third base coach is he trying to like relay something to the to the base runner? Um, is the catcher signs be, like all of like, those little nuanced things? The veteran guys were like really really relish yeah. on and they thrive and i think that's why they play they had that edge um and the young guys just really care about like what's the action like the action yeah. of what's going on so for me for the real for the youth players young players just to watch the game and you mm-hmm. know in the game within the game and what each what each pitcher hitter, coach like what each team is actually trying to do yeah um as far as actually like literature like i think one just reading like i wasn't Reading in general, I wasn't for me personally, I wasn't a big reader growing up. Um, I kind of gravitated to it. And and I for me, it's just it's just a great outlet of getting away from the screen, um, you know, having some quiet time to yourself and also just learning and growing and, and being curious. Um, you know, some great books like the MVP machine is great as far as like development um, to kind of see like what teams are doing, what some coaches and some theories are Um and then if you know, as you get a little older, it depends on where you want to go. But the culture code is such a great book to hit on. Um as far as like no matter what sport you're trying to do, but there's so many great lessons in there with you know with Popovich and what he's trying to do. And you know, um I just feel like that's as you get older and if you if you really want to be a leader, yeah. um, that that's one of the, a good book to start.
0: Yeah. And Dan Coyle spent a lot of time around the Indians, uh, now the Guardians. Yeah. As, as he kind of compiled a lot of the information, you know, obviously they are a team that's outperformed yeah. payroll and expectations over the years, but you know, as you were describing, like the watch the game stuff, it's, you know, a lot of people got really excited about mic'd up mm-hmm. athletes at the all-star game. And, and obviously it, it becomes kind of prohibitive just because there's so much strategy and all that stuff. But mm-hmm. like those little glimpses start to make people realize that, you know, what's actually taking place. Like I know, you know, and I'm, you know, been in the dugout, things like that, going back to your like hotel room after a game. And then, you know, sports centers or something like that. You, you watch those plays again, differently knowing what was actually being discussed and what was taking place behind the scenes. So it's a, it's a cool perspective that I wish more people could have.
1: Yeah. It's a great perspective. I, I agree. Especially when, you know, in the day of Twitter content and social media content, there's always like a random video with like no context behind it. Yeah. Which is great. and all, but for me, it's like, okay, what's the context behind it? Like what was yeah. really
0: going on? You know? how about for coaches you know obviously you spoke to players you know with respect to observing the game and you know getting your feet wet with actual reading are there any books that have been really I you mentioned the culture code um things that have probably you know helped you more as a coach than they, they would have as a player
1: yeah um definitely definitely the mvp machine it's just great of like you know challenging your thoughts and your ideas um like you said besides the culture code um i think dodge is a great book yeah. um Thinking in Bets by Andy Duke yeah, yeah. is great. You know, just far as like decision making. Um, think Again by Adam Grant was great. You That's know, I think yeah, just like there's so many just the books about how can you see see different circumstances differently um, if I'm a different vantage point to solve that problem. I think it's always always beneficial. Um, yeah, for me, those are the quick books that come to mind. Uh, but it, there's so many great podcasts as well, like yourself, like this, like the, what you've been doing is outstanding, just having like different voices and, and different perspectives. Like that's like that's like it's unbelievable, um, you know, and, you know, the, the uh, positive view by John Gunner. He always has some great coaches on there and, you know, other entities. And, you and know, honestly, and, and what, what Salho what Bloom is doing, you yeah. know, he's just putting – a ton of great free content out there uh, and it, the, the, like his frameworks and the business and how you can relate it to life and you can relate it to sports as well That's and true. what you're trying to do. Um, you know, it's just being open-minded and curious and try to use whatever entity or aspect in your,
0: in your, in your game, in your, in your arena is, is what it's all about. I love it. Now this is my last question today. It's going to be my favorite one. So you, uh, you had some very specific rules, and first off, let me let me preface by saying you probably caught more bullpens oh, in the first worse, three to four years of, of CSP's existence than anybody else. And it, it actually it transitioned to Matt Blake. Um, you know, Matt was the best <laughs> left-handed catcher in the game for a long time. So you guys were like, you know, you were you were both behind the dish on the regular there. And I know you imparted a lot of this wisdom to Blake, you know. And there were things like the, the absolute no nos, right? Like never end a bullpen on a curveball. You know, you know, never say one more and then keep saying one more over and over again. Like, what are the other things that, like, pitchers should absolutely not do that irritate their catchers?
1: Oh, man. The one more thing is huge. Like, the one more, it's like, hey, we get one more. Man,
0: dude, like One more unless it's a ball.
1: Yeah, like, one more less it's a ball. You want to finish on a great pitch? Like, that's not, <laughs> that's not how it goes, man. Like, no. Um I think the spiking of the fastball um, really, like, really gets really get, gets underneath the catcher's skin because you know pitching is it's the only area on the field where it's actually proactive and everything else is reactive. Like you control everything. Like yep. you, the only thing you do is throw a baseball. Um, <laughs> so if you're if you bounce a fastball, it's just like man, you, you throw ninety five man. Like bouncing a fastball is is tough to catch, block, like get out of the way. It's like come on man, like just get get it to me in the air one time. Um, <laughs> Now that really happens. I think, um, th- I think now, um, like looking back on it, those rules were awesome and funny, but also yeah. like. I still cracks me up when pitchers throw a nasty pitch and, like, hey, that move good? Like, how was the movement on that? Was that, I- what, what do you mean, dude? Like, you just threw the ball. You saw how I caught it. That was gross. Like, you know, it's gross. If you want me to, if you just want me to pump your tires, I'll let you know. Um, but, uh, like, but it's just, it's just funny because they know it's good. Uh, they know it was a great pitch, but they just want to hear it from you. Um, and that's why I challenge, it's funny, we're laughing, but I challenge the catches to, because they, they want that feedback right away. So if they throw a nasty pitch, let them know. Because if you don't let them know, they're going to ask you that question. Hey, is is it good? Like, was that pitch good? So just to – for me, not to hear that question, if the pitch throws a really good pitch right away, give them feedback. Just give them feedback right away. One, it's – obviously, it's we're, we're joking about it, but it's – I think it's a great, you know, relationship building and, like, knowing that pitch is invested. But – um it's just it just cracks me up though. Every time a pitcher says that, it's like, Man, you know how nasty that pitch is. You know how I caught it. You just almost broke my thumb. Like it's disgusting. Like, yes, it's the we did it it's the best pitch i've ever seen let's put it that way yeah and i've got seven more bullpens to catch <laughs> yeah like i'm a, we're having this conversation right now and i'm looking outside the cage and there's a line of seven dudes like let's, <laughs> let let me take my
0: beating please oh <laughs> uh, that's terrific and and i mean it's i mean don't get me wrong you're endearing on a number of levels but i feel like some of those lessons are the things that will I mean you could win 10 World Series and I'm still gonna remember the lessons from the cage. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and that's
1: and, and and that was a great, yeah, that was a great part of the culture that was up there, you know, just the the constant back and forth and you know, talking crap to each other. Yeah. It was awesome. But yeah, it's, but it's, he,
0: like we never we never throw to tarps, like for that reason. Like I know a lot of facilities like we're adamant, like you're gonna throw to an actual human being that will yell at you if you do something stupid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: I love that. Yeah, or the the nine pocket. The nine pocket's great for certain things. But like you said, like if you throw it to someone and you do and you're doing, saying something dumb, like that's part of the learning process for everybody, you know, and and I think catches are not not exempt for that either. You know, so we want to make sure that they're they're dialed. But yeah, I like looking back, on. I, I still talk about those, you know, catching all those bullpens up there and. You know, and uh, being around all those guys, it was awesome. But that I always love seeing Matty Blake catch left handed and then always like he always took so much pride in like how he how he stuck the ball, how he
0: worked the pitch and be like oh I made that look so good. I'm the, I'm gear the was best left handed catcher yeah. ever. It was unbelievable. But yeah. it, it was nice to go down memory lane, and this is absolutely awesome. Uh it's Craig Albernez on both Twitter and Instagram. Um always sharing some good content too, which I love and um uh, Dude, you've uh, you're, you're one of those guys who's going to lead the game way better than you found it, which I think is the the you know best mark of a career. And it's been cool to see you do it as a player and now as a coach. And, um, appreciate our friendship and appreciate you taking the time to do this.
1: No doubt, man. I, I appreciate everything that you've done for me personally, and everything you keep on doing for this game. And you know, I appreciate the kind words. But like I said earlier, like you're only as good as the people that you've been around, and being around you and and what you built in the culture has been great man and it's it's awesome to see your family and you know it's just that we're old now and it's kind of it's great to see where we're at right now but man i appreciate everything man thank you for having me
0: absolutely thanks for coming on
1: all right brother